take three. <laughs> In today's edition of What the Heck is Wrong with You, Kim scalds her fingers making ramen and is now icing them with whiskey stones. Welcome to my world. It really hurts. Welcome to an hour of your life. My name is Kim. And my name is Steve. I, can I tell him? Can yeah, I tell go, him? go ahead. Yes! Okay, finally. Not like we haven't been hyping it up for weeks and weeks and weeks, but also it may or may not have anything to do with the fact that my birthday is this week. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and it may or may not be a coincidence that on Wednesday, May 19th, which happens to be my birthday, we are premiering a brand new podcast. Yay! In case you missed the trailer, it's called the 937 Podcast, um, and it is the two of us and our buddy Terry Martin, um, who knows everybody in music in the gem city, um, which is very exciting. So, uh, the, you want to tell them about the premise of the show a little bit, if they haven't managed to catch the trailer? Well, basically what we're trying to do is there is it, the, we think the timing is perfect. Absolutely. There is just so much to do in the Dayton area. And what we have tried to do is collect everything. I, I can't say everything. That would be one of those all inclusive statements. Yeah collected as much as we can and we're going to put it into one podcast so we're going to try to release it on Wednesday nights so that if you're saying well what am I going to do this weekend you can just listen to this podcast shouldn't take more than 15-20 minutes it's not a big long episode no. and you can listen to it you could even listen to it as you're driving downtown and you're you're driving and your spouse is saying what are we going to do when we get down there well <laughs> you could listen to the 937 podcast and say Let's do this. Yep. And so it's all in one place and the website is up. It's looking fairly decent. Yep. It's called the 937podcast.com. Yeah. Um, in addition to just the, the basic, that's going to be right up at the top of the show. Um, at least once a month, we are going to also feature a local business and or restaurant. Um, we may have special guests. Uh, we have a big one coming up here real soon. Um, but our first episode premieres Wednesday on May 19th, and it features um, Tanya Brock from Fifth Street Brew Pub talking about um, Fifth Street and, and kind of what makes them special and unique and um, why they're an asset to the Dayton community. So, Well, I'm going to go ahead and spill the beans. We're going to have the mayor of Dayton, Mayor Nan Whaley, yeah. is going to be our guest and just trying to work with the schedule, her schedule and our schedule. We're yeah, we had to put the mayor off because of our schedule. Uh, yeah, sorry, I know. But, we're so uh, busy. Yeah, but we just we were asked hoping. the mayor to help introduce the podcast and talk a little bit about all the good things in Dayton. Yeah, we were hoping to have her on for the first show. Um, timing just didn't quite work out well, but that's all right. Better late than never is what I always say. I don't always say that, but I say it sometimes. So, uh, so yeah, we'll have... Uh, well, she could have been on sooner, but... I had yeah, things it, that I had, I couldn't stop. I, it, just the three of us have, uh, obviously, Mayor Whaley has a very busy schedule. And individually, Steve and I have pretty busy schedules. Um, so it just didn't quite work out. But it it has, it will. We are recording an interview with her here in about a week. Uh, and, and we'll be excited to hear what she has to say. But this is not the 937. If you want to listen to the uh, trailer, you can find it on um, 
an hour of your on life. an hour of your life, or you can look for the nine three seven podcast. It's on all of the same streaming platforms, correct? As an hour of your life, not yet, but we'll we'll talk about it that later. Okay, yeah. But today we're going to get into uh, we're getting kind of back to our roots a little bit, I guess yeah. maybe. Well, today's episode should scare the bejeebies out of you, so we're going to be talking about doomsday scenarios. I'm very excited, and we're not talking about Revelations-type end of the world with a rapture in Armageddon. We're going to cover scenarios that can and have led to severe disruption of our way of life, scenarios that can sometimes lead to catastrophic loss of life. And so this episode is not about ghost stories or conspiracy theory stuff, although Mm. some can and have linked our topics today to conspiracy theories. But this show is not about that. Uh, We've tried our best to bring you factual information without exaggeration. And some topics are nefarious. They can be caused by ill intent to bring death and destruction or for extortion. Some are just plain old neglect and can be tied to politics and funding. Whatever. But everything we are covering in this episode is real. So let's start off with... A little thing called electromagnetic impulse, or we'll be referring to it as EMP. That's not really a little thing. No. So a nuclear electromagnetic pulse, it's commonly referred to as EMP, is a burst of electromagnetic radiation that's created by a nuclear explosion. The burst, when the the atomic bomb, the nuclear bomb goes off, there's a burst of EMP, which will go out and it's going to join, latch onto, couple with, onto the electrical systems or electronic systems, and it's going to produce damaging currents and voltages, making them useless. Just basically think of it that they're fried. Take a second and just think about how reliant we are on electronics today. Oh, I'm going to guarantee that you are, if you are listening to our show, you are listening to it either on a cell phone or on your radio, in your car probably. Using electronics. Yeah, I yeah. would wit- I would guess if you just take 10 and of, seconds and look and of around. of course, the world will end if you can't listen to an hour of your life. Obviously. Yeah. So anyway, we're talking about communications will be affected, cell phones, medical equipment, oh, the power grid, banking. So much of our infrastructure relies on computers, like our utilities, our water, our gas lines, just to, just to name a few. I even watched a special on the expansion of the Panama Canal. Basically, they're building these super ships that are too big to go through the canal, so they're having to expand the canal, and they're upgrading. It's going to be 100 years old. And the operations of the canal are going to be all dependent on computers to raise the water, the locks and all that stuff. Wow. I mean, there's just so much in our lives that is dependent on computers and electrical systems like this or electronics. EMP may vary according to a number of factors. The most important of which is the altitude of the detonation of the nuclear bomb. Other factors include how big the bomb is, uh, or how much gamma ray output, uh, the interact- interactions with the Earth's magnetic field, and how well the targets or your computers or phone lines or whatever are shielded against EMP. We have known about EMP since the earliest days of nuclear weapons testing, but we didn't know a lot. We knew it was there, but we didn't know 
we didn't know the magnitude of EMP and the potential impact, and it wasn't immediately understood nor realized at the time. During the first United States nuclear test on 16 July 1945, electronic equipment, they knew enough about it that they knew it, they knew it was going to happen, so they shielded it because it was expected, but they had no grasp the concept of how yeah. it could impact. So in anticipation for that first nuclear test, all signal lines were completely shielded and in many cases doubly shielded. Now the first double wrap it. Yeah. The first openly reported observation of the unique aspects of high altitude nuclear EMP occurred during the helium balloon lofted Yucca nuclear tests of the Hardtack One series in April of nineteen fifty eight. So this is almost thirteen years later. Yeah. In that test, the electronic field or the electric field measurements from the one point seven kiloton weapon exceeded the range to which the test instruments were adjusted and was estimated to be about five times the limit as to what was predicted. Yeah, so we didn't know a lot about it. Yeah, and we were off by five times. In July 1962, the U.S. carried out the Starfish Prime test. I love how they get these names. I know, I like it. Um, They exploded a 1.44 megaton bomb. Not a kiloton, megaton. Megaton, okay. um, 250 miles above the middle of the Pacific Ocean. This demonstrated the effects of a high-altitude nuclear explosion uh, and showed us that they were much worse than had been previously calculated. It was hard to hide the effects of the EMP in Starfish Prime to the public because in Hawaii... We just put off this big atomic bomb out there. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, it was in the like middle it of didn't the, happen. It was in the middle of the Pacific... I mean, not middle of the Pacific Ocean, but it was like 250 miles out into the ocean. But yeah. in Hawaii... About 900 miles away from the detonation point, about 300 streetlights were knocked out, and it set off numerous burglar alarms and damaged a microwave link. So you might be thinking, it knocked out some streetlights. Big deal. Initially, some scientists thought the same thing, just like oh, 300 seat street, whoopee doo. Uh, the relatively small magnitude of the Starfish Prime EMP in Hawaii and the relatively small amount of damage, for example, only 1% to 3% of the streetlights were extinguished. And we're not talking about blast. It's from the EMP. Led some scientists to believe in the early days of EMP research that the problem just may not be that significant. But remember, this was 900 miles away. Yeah. Okay, so later calculations showed that if the Starfish Prime Warhead had been detonated over the northern continental United States, the magnitude of the EMP would have been much larger because of the greater strength of the Earth's magnetic field over the United States. It was then realized that the impacts of EMP might be much more significant than the scientists originally thought. In 1962, the Soviet Union also performed three EMP producing nuclear tests in space over Kazakhstan. The geomagnetic geomagnetic storm induced a current surge in a long underground power line that caused a fire in the power plant in a city of Karanganda. Are you starting to see the problem? Did this produce Borat? No. (laughs) (laughs) Published published reports state that there can be significant problems with ceramic insulators on overhead electric power lines. So you've all seen, you know, those 
Insulators that hang down, it, it can affect those. A 2010 technical report written for Oak Ridge National Laboratory stated that power line insulators were damaged, resulting in a short circuit on the line and some lines detaching from the poles and falling to the ground. Now, that's just a regular EMP. There's such a thing called a super electromagnetic pulse. And that's a relatively new type of warfare in which a nuclear weapon is equipped with a far greater electromagnetic pulse in comparison... Those crafty scientists. Yeah, in comparison to standard nuclear weapons of mass destruction. These weapons are designed to knock out infrastructure and kill people with limited damage to buildings. So when we're saying infrastructure, we're talking about... Bridges. The electronic, yeah, oh, we're not, like we're the not computer stuff. Yeah, yeah, so this, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, according to a statement made in writing by the Chinese military, the country has super EMPs and has discussed their use in attacking Taiwan. Now, such an attack would debilitate information systems in the nation, allowing China to move in and attack it directly using soldiers. So basically, the buildings, the bridges, and all that stuff survives, but there's so much radiation, it's knocked out. Any hopes of communications, right. electronics, Your communications and stuff like that. are wiped. Yeah. So now they can just go in and take over because you have no way of communicating. Um, now, the Taiwanese military has subsequently confirmed the Chinese possession of super EMPs and their possible destruction to power grids. EMP is such a big threat because of our reliance on computers to control much of the government and economy. So, like militarily, aircraft characters, state aircraft carriers stationed within a reasonable range of an exploding bomb are subject to complete destruction of missiles on board, as well as communication that will allow them to communicate with nearby vessels and controllers on land. Okay, and that's important because what's called the National Command Authority, if they had to release nuclear weapons to retaliate, would be shut down. They couldn't do it. Since the Cold War, Russia has experimented with the design and the effects of EMP bombs. And more recently, Russia has performed several cyber attacks on the United States, which some analysts believe suggest possible future nationwide blackouts caused by super EMPs. Along with ordinary warheads equipped with super EMP capabilities, Russia's been developing hypersonic missiles that in 2021 are far more difficult for the U.S. defenses in the form of radars and satellites to detect in a timely manner. Now, this method makes the act of nuclear deterrence, which is what Steve was just talking about, a key strategy for the United States in preventing nuclear war, nearly impossible. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting. Sunday night, I was watching 60 Minutes, and they had a segment about UFOs. Now, it's been admitted and acknowledged by the United States that these UFOs have been observed and they have real camera footage. Right. It's real. And I, you know, I joke about the Lion King and CGI, but this stuff is Uh, documented. So I I, kind of trust that this is real and not CGI type stuff. But the pilots have observed in the UFOs that have observed the UFOs speculate that they are either observing, one, either top-secret U.S. technology, or two, they are unknown foreign technology that is testing the United States' capabilities or actually collecting information or finding out, you know, what you know what our, our capabilities yeah. are. Or three, it's out-of-this-world technology. So... I don't know. Could the pilots be seeing... 
like Russian technology out there and it just can't be explained because we don't know what it is? Could it be U.S. technology being tested to counter the Russian technology in order to keep the nuclear deterrence and things in a balance? Um, Or could it be aliens? I don't know what's worse. There's going to be a future show because there's a major report going to be released in about a month. And I see Jay Jay coming back on here soon. Uh, Yeah, but uh, we're getting way off topic with this. But I think that so much of that report is going to be blacked out that it's not even going to be anything. We'll see. I And I honestly don't know what's worse. If it's Russians or aliens, like, I don't know what's worse. If it's a space age technology that we don't know how to combat or if it's worldly technology that we don't know how to combat. Either way, it sucks. I'm not going to speculate. You need to make up your own mind. The United States EMP Commission determined that long-known protections are almost completely absent in the civilian infrastructure in the United States and that large parts of U.S. military services were less protected against EMP than during the Cold War. In public statements, the commission recommended making electronic equipment and um, electrical components resistant to EMP and maintaining spare part inventories that would enable prompt repairs. That seems obvious to me. Yeah, you would think. Uh, The United States Military Service developed and in some cases published hypothetical EMP attack scenarios. In 2017, The United States Department of Energy published the DOE Electromagnetic Pulse Resilience Action Plan. Edwin Boston uh, published a dissertation on the topic, and the EMP EMP Commission published Assessing the Threat from Electromagnetic Pulse, or EMP. The EMP Commission was closed in the summer of 2017. They found that earlier reports had underestimated the effects of an EMP attack on the national infrastructure. Oh, yay. As of 2017, several power utility companies in the United States have been involved in a three-year research program on the impact of EMP to the United States power grid. Since the 1980s, nuclear EMP weapons have gained a significant presence in fiction and popular culture. The popular media often depicts EMP effects incorrectly causing misunderstanding among the public and even amongst professionals. Official efforts have been made in the United States to set the record straight. The United States Space Command commissioned science educator, none other than Bill Nye the Science Guy, to produce a video called Hollywood versus EMP so that inaccurate Hollywood fiction would not confuse those who have to deal with real-world EMP events. Uh, unfortunately, this video is not available to the general public. I always thought that was so fascinating that um, a lot of the times the government will go to Hollywood and say, give me your worst possible scenario and we'll plan for it. Yeah. Because those creative minds really, there is some pretty nefarious well, they used to have writers con- and brains the, in the Hollywood. The Army used to have contact, uh, contests to design a tank and they would just put it out there and they would put it out to the public and say, design a tank. Interesting. Yeah. Let's talk about infrastructure. Okay. Now, (laughs) I have a little bit of a story for you. It was meant to be a routine inspection, but when an engineer climbed out onto the Interstate 40 bridge over the Mississippi River recently. This is happening right now. What he saw led to an urgent call to 911. We need to get people off the bridge immediately because he had spotted a crack. 
you couldn't really miss it. A critical beam was fractured to the point of being nearly severed. I would suggest, and we'll put a picture on the website, but go ahead and Google Memphis Bridge over the Mississippi River. You know, we're not talking like a little crack where the paint is chipping. We're talking a a crack. crack. Yeah. Yeah. The Hernando de Soto Bridge, which reaches from downtown Memphis into Arkansas, is inspected every two years. So the crack could have been there for weeks, months, or well over a year. But in that moment, the inspector stressed to the 911 dispatcher that the bridge needed to be shut down right away to avert a disaster. Could you imagine being that 911 operator? I've been like, is Mothman there? Sorry, (laughs) I can't. It's hundreds of barges were held up on the Mississippi River, according to Coast Guard officials, and more than 35,000 vehicles that crossed the bridge daily were about, were, you know, rerouted. About a third of those were commercial traffic. I think I crossed that bridge this- When you came to it? When when we, yeah. No, this- (laughs) um, when we went to Opie's service. Oh, really? Yeah, in West That's Memphis. That's scary. Yeah. So it could have fallen on it. I think it was the same bridge. The American Society of Civil Engineers, or the ASCE, was founded in 1852, and it's the nation's oldest 150,000 civilian engineers in private practice, government industry, and academia who are dedicated to advancing the science and profession of civil engineering. Beginning in 2001, the ASCE has released a report card every four years that uses the simple A to F, like we're used to here in the United States, school report card format that examines current infrastructure conditions and needs and assigns grades and makes recommendations for how to improve 16 categories of infrastructure. We are currently getting a D+. Okay, C's get degrees, but we are getting a D plus. Now, the ASCE estimates that failing to act to rebuild America's infrastructure costs every American family $3,400 a year, and the costs and consequences to our economy are significant. Now, even though the U.S. Congress and some states have recently made efforts to invest more in infrastructure, those efforts don't even come close to the $2 trillion in needs. Florida is recovering from the near collapse of a phosphate-laden wastewater pond. Now, while the pond didn't fail catastrophically and flood more than 300 homes and businesses like they thought it would, it did require high-cost emergency measures, evacuations, and the routing of millions of gallons of untreated waste into Tampa Bay. The wastewater pond in Florida will require another $15.4 million to treat wastewater as the uncertain situation continues. Now, similarly, a levee built in the 1890s on the Wisconsin River, known to be structurally unstable for many years, finally failed in 2010. That levee failure put 100 homes at risk and required state and locally funded emergency operations. Similar dam failures and near failures during recent hurricanes in the southeast. Hey, we're supposed to be family friendly. We're not supposed to use words like that. (laughs) Forced emergency managers to focus on old, obsolete infrastructure at a time when their attention needed to be elsewhere. The U.S. electric power grid is composed of the bulk power system, including large-scale generation facilities and transmission networks. 10,000 power plants comprise the generation capacity of the U.S., 
and more than 600,000 circuit miles of transmission lines, of which 240,000 are high voltage, carry power from generation plants to the distribution networks. And an estimated 5.5 million miles of local distribution lines, including underground cables, carry the power to end users. So let's look at how the categories did on the report card. Aviation, two mil- got a D. Two million passengers are served daily by the United States airports. But congestion is growing and it's expected that 24 of the top major airports may experience Thanksgiving peak volume at least one day a week. Bridges. Now, you say C's get degrees. Well, we got a C plus in bridges. But let me throw this at you. The United States has 614,387 bridges, of which 9.1%, which, okay, that sounds good. 56,000 bridges in this country were structurally deficient in 2016. Dams, sorry, again with the language, D, 17% of United States dams or 15,498 have been identified as high hazard potential dams. Nationwide, 73 dams failed between 2010 and 2015. This one kind of made me kind of drinking water. The ASCE gave us a D. There are an estimated 240,000 water main breaks in the United States every year and six billion gallons of treated drinking water are lost every year. Oh, we just had a major about a year and a half ago in Dayton and it was yeah. under the river. It's it this this one for for whatever reason this one hits me really hard especially knowing how globally there are so many people without access to clean drinking water that we are just wasting 6 billion gallons of water every year. Um energy, we got a D plus. There were 300 or 3,571 power outages in the United States in 2016, and most electric power infrastructure has exceeded its life expectancy. Hazardous waste, D+. Plus. Ooh. Yeah. There are over, this, this is another one that I was like, whoa! There are over 18,000 hazardous waste sites in the United States. 53% of the American population lives within three miles of a hazardous waste site. Inland waterways D, the United States has 25,000 miles of inland waterways. 49% of vessels experience delays across the waterway systems. Parks and recreation D plus, this one's just kind of sad. Seven out of 10 Americans use park facilities on a regular basis, and about $11.9 billion in maintenance has been deferred by the National Park Service because of underfunding. I love our national park. And I say this one's just kind of sad, but it's really not just kind of sad, because if you think about it, um, some of those area, like just off the top of my head, I would think of um, like Glacier National Park or the Grand Canyon where they're prone to ice slows or rock slides, how much of that is not being maintained and taken care of and how much of it is a danger to the visiting public um, with these $11.9 billion in maintenance that's been deferred. Railways, we actually got to be on this one. The United States rail industry invested $27.1 billion in infrastructure in 2015. So rail is actually one of the brighter spots on the report card. Roads? Dead. I got to be in rails. Yeah, right. Roads, D. 
What'd I'm, you get on? What'd you get on D on road, son? D. America's roads are often congested, resulting in Americans spending 6.9 billion hours or 42 hours per person stuck in traffic every year. I don't even get that much in vacation time. Not me. I don't even hit a four-lane road all the way to work. I spent, theoretically, we spend more hours stuck in traffic than we get for vacation time. That's pathetic. The Pacific Institute for Research and Evaluation estimates that over half of the deaths that occur on America's roadways can be blamed on poor road conditions. And our nation's schools only get a D plus. Now this is the infrastructure of the schools. This is not like how well the kids learn or how well the teachers teach. This is just the buildings themselves. There are about a hundred thousand schools in the United States serving 50 million K through 12 students every day. And about a quarter of those schools are rated to be in fair or poor condition with things, um, and I know this is just from things that I've seen and, and researched and heard about, mold, water damage, um, structural unsoundness. The power plants. In the, the foundations. The and system, yeah, yeah. yeah, all kinds of stuff. This one's kind of gross. Solid waste. We get a C plus. Americans generate 258 million tons of municipal solid waste every year of which 53% ends up in a landfill. And a lot of it also ends up in the ocean. Transit, D minus. We're almost failing. Transit in America, like uh, here Makes locally- Makes that D plus like, look pretty good, I huh? know, right? That's what I'd be saying if I came <laughs> home. <laughs> hey, I got a D plus here. It's not a D minus. So, <laughs> so locally, think of like, um, you know, up in Columbus, you got the Coda buses. Here in Dayton, you got RTA. So like your metropolitan public transit. Transit in America is looting, losing ridership in some regions, the result of chronic underfunding, which has generated $90 billion in maintenance backlog. Side note, I wanted to say, so Larry was telling me, uh, we've had Larry on our show before, um, Visually Challenged, was saying that in an effort to get more people to rely on public transportation, um, the RTA here in Dayton is now basically like giving away money and giving away rides. He said that they have given him um, $60 worth of free fare by uh, basically doing away with money and it's all loaded, like preloaded on a, like a tap card or whatever. Um, and they're just giving it away so that people will be more likely to use public transport. Hmm. But uh, that is causing, because so so many people are driving cars and wasting 42 hours of their life in traffic and not taking public transit, that means that there's a $90 billion maintenance backlog. Like they're not making money to to fix up the buses and, and stuff. So there's a All lot right. to it. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's really, really complicated. So our last topic that we're going to talk about tonight is cyber or think of it as hacking. And this one really, a lot of those things we've been talking about, the cyber can exacerbate that and make it even worse. Yeah. So this one is a really tough issue to counter. I mean, bridges and other infrastructure can be fixed with money to build and make repairs. In my opinion, cyber is completely different. We can throw money at cyber to make improvements and tighten security, but cyber is constantly changing. A company or the government can implement the latest and greatest security, 
but sooner or later, a hacker is going to learn how to defeat it. Then the company or the government will implement new security to counter what was just hacked. Then the hackers are going to go and they're going to find a way to hack that. It it never ends. Right. You know, you, know, you can play games with your mind, say, oh, we'll just have better cybersecurity. Well, they're going to figure it out sooner or later. It's a game. It's a game to them. Yeah. I mean, it's really not. It's, a, it's serious it's business. Very serious the, business. The, but the world. Yeah. yeah. Banking. Let's talk about banking real quick. Can you imagine if you had no access to your banking account or an ATM? If a hacker gains access to your credit card or banking account, you can be cleaned out of literally your life savings and all the money that you have. Just look at the panic buying at the beginning of beginning of COVID last year when right. everything shut down. Yeah. And all that panic and the hoopla over that was over toilet paper. So think about if you don't have access to your money, you can't buy food, you can't buy... Oh, it would be chaos. You can't buy gas to go to work. You can't do it, yeah. It would be chaos in the streets. Financial transactions would stop. What would happen to the stock market? I mean, this would be that Bernie Madoff guy like all over again. You couldn't, yeah. yeah. Uh, the impact has the potential to be devastating. Bad people are doing their best to steal your personal information the military secrets or to disrupt, disrupt military operations and to steal from or disrupt corporations and company. You know, that corporate theft is a big, big deal because oh, a lot of stuff is protected and, you know, companies make millions and billions and trillions of dollars off their protected information. Cyber theft runs into trillions of dollars each and every year. Think about it. House titles. Today, people are hacking into home titles. If you listen to the commercials, you would be led to believe that people are losing their houses. I personally think that might be a little bit of a scare tactic, but I'm sure there's a lot of pain to get, oh, it, to get it straightened out. Identity theft is a nightmare. Yeah, identity, yeah, identity theft. And I'm, but I'm specifically talking about hacking in and changing the titles of your house and doing quick sales and taking over your house. It's insane. Yeah, you know, I, I, whatever. But on the other hand... If the possibility for hackers to gain the title wasn't there, then they probably wouldn't be wasting their time making the commercials and setting up those businesses. Yeah, so, that's I true. mean, it's, yeah. So, these are just a few examples of the evil that can come out of hackers. If sci in cybersecurity, a vulnerability is a weakness that can be exploited by cyber criminals to gain unauthorized access to computer systems. After exploiting a vulnerability, a cyber attack can run malicious code, install malware, and even steal sensitive data. Every business owner is under constant threat from a multitude of sources. From the biggest 500 fortune companies down to the smallest mom and pop stores, no business is 100% safe from a cyber attack. The simple fact that there are too many threats or so many threats out there uh, it, you can't be effective to prevent them all. For example, as noted by a uh, leading antivirus company, uh, Kaspersky Lab, the number of new malicious files processed by the lab and, detection, and uh, lab detection technologies reached 360,000 a day. And this is information from 2017. That's 250 new malware threats 
every minute. That's a lot. Yeah. Here are the big threats to a computer or a computer system. Now, keep in mind that all these can be targeted at a company or you as an individual. We kind of wrote this as company, but it's it's still... More, can affect you individually. Yeah, I think more. And we'll point that out. Yeah, generally, I think more um, more of these are generally targeted towards companies, but that's not to say that though they don't affect you as an individual. Um, for example, for the company that I work for, it's a retail um, retail, but also health. So you know, if somebody hacked into our system, they would have access to credit card numbers as well as health information based from the from the clients. Um, So one thing is malware. As we pointed out earlier, new malware is being created all the time. However, while the statistic of 360,000 new malware files a day sounds like a lot, it's important to know one thing. Many of these new malware files are just rehashes of older programs that have been altered just enough to make them unrecognizable to antivirus programs, which probably doesn't necessarily make you feel any better. Oh, I feel much better right now. But if it also kind of is easier to combat because we know it makes it easier than, you know, you don't have to something the brand new from scratch. You can recognize, oh, this is a component of this old malware program. We just have to tweak it a little bit to fight it. Just like they tweaked it a little bit to make it a new thing. Over the years though, a lot of different kinds of malware have been created each one affecting the target systems in a different way. You make it sound so simple. I know. It's yeah. not at all. Yeah. So it's why not. Don't you, why don't you just tell us all about yeah, it, no, Eric, it's, not, it's not at all. But, okay. But it's not. I would think that it's probably easier to fight known malware that's been slightly tweaked. It's like coronavirus. You know, we, we tweaked an existing vaccination to get a new one. Same with malware. You tweak an existing thing to existing vaccination essentially but how much is damaged before that's that is that's fair okay so let's talk about ransomware this one's in the news so ransomware this malicious software designed to encrypt the victim's data storage drives rendering them inaccessible to the owner an ultimatum is then delivered demanding payment in return for the encryption key if the ransom demand isn't met the key will be deleted and all the data will be lost forever. The East Coast of the United States is experiencing the effects of a ransomware attack right now as we're recording this show. Um, Russian hackers held the Colonial Pipeline hostage. Now, we'll, we're going to talk about that more in a little bit. Yep. Yeah, but Trojans, this is another type. This reference is a kind of delivery system for malware. A Trojan is any piece of malware that masquerades or pretends that it's a legitimate program to trick victims into installing it onto their systems. Trojans can do a lot of damage because they slip behind your your outward security, your network security, by posing as something harmless while carrying out a major threat inside. So, like, think of that that horse in the city of Troy in uh, the Iliad. Yep, giant horse. Guys inside. Oh, it's a gift. They were hidden. Oh, Wrong. look at that. They gave us a big horse. <laughs> Thanks. Worms. Now, worms are programs that can self-replicate and spread through a variety of means such as emails. I would venture to say that most of you have experienced a worm in some way, shape, or form. They're kind of notorious on Facebook a little bit. Um, 
Once on a system, the worm will search for some form of contact database or file sharing system and send itself out as an attachment. And this is one you've probably experienced in your home computers. Yeah, you've probably seen these. When in email form, the attachment is part of an email that looks like it's from the person whose computer was compromised. Now, the goal of many malware programs is to access sensitive data and copy it. And some highly advanced malwares can autonomously copy data and send it to a specific port or server that an attacker can then use to discreetly steal information. These guys are smart. Hackers are smart, if nothing else. They're bad guys, but they're smart. Basic antivirus can protect against some malwares, but a multi-layered security solution that uses antivirus, deep packet inspection firewalls, intrusion detector systems, email virus scanners, and employee awareness training is needed to provide optimal protection. Now, of course, that's corporate, you know, business-wide. But, you know, there are all kinds of safe, you know, measures that you can take in your personal life. Antivirus is is the the basic, yeah. That everyone should have on their computer. Yeah. So, unpatched security vulnerabilities. While there are countless new threats being developed daily, many of them rely on old security vulner- vulnerabilities to work. With so many malwares looking to exploit the same few vulnerabilities time and time again, one of the biggest risks that a business can take is failing to patch those vulnerabilities once they're discovered. It's just really common for business or even just the individuals on a network to ignore that update available that, you know, you'll get that reminder says update available Mm. that pops up in certain programs because they don't want to take the five to 10 minutes of running the program. And sometimes, you know, last time I did that, it it screwed everything up and I just, I'm not going to do it. Totally guilty of this one. Yeah. And so you don't want to take that five to 10 minutes of running that update to fix your computer updating it's a nuisance to most users however it's a nuisance that could save a business untold amounts of time and money and lost business later at work the easy fix is to maintain a regular update schedule a day of the week where your it team checks for the latest security patches for your organization software and ensures that they're applied to all your company systems at home you should schedule automatic updates. And so this is, again, this is one of those things that you should be aware of for your home computer. I'm totally guilty of this. I don't know the last time I ran an update on my laptop. Yeah, well, you should do it tonight after reading, because this should scare the bejeebies out of you. <laughs> it does. I wonder, with so many people using their company-issued laptops at home these days, what the effect has been. Because if your laptop, most of the time at work, if your laptop is plugged into the company network, there's a good chance that you're receiving the updates um, to your computer through the company, yeah. through the network. But if you're not on the company network, it probably isn't happening. Yeah, I was kind of wondering about that just the other day with, um, you know, we have quite a few people in our in our sphere of influence, I guess, that are... Uh, working from home that have access to medical records um, that, you know, I wonder how, you know, what are they, I was just thinking about this. What, what do they have at home versus are they on their home Wi-Fi network? Do their, does their work give them as like a closed Wi-Fi network that they use when they're well, working a lot, from home? A lot of them are on uh, VPNs, virtual private networks yeah. to help 
shield this. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, so now let's talk about hidden backdoor programs. It's an example of an intentionally created computer software security vulnerability, which makes you think like, why would you want to intentionally create vulnerability? Well, when a manufacturer- It makes for a good movie. Yeah, yeah, it does. When a manufacturer of computer components, software, or whole computers installs a program or a bit of code designed to allow a computer to be remotely accessed- you, you may have had this happen before. Typically it's for diagnostic configuration or technical support purposes where you call tech support and they're like, well, give me your, um, your permission to access your computer. And then all of a sudden there, your mouse goes crazy and they are in your backdoor computer. Um, it, that's what it's called. It's called a backdoor. When the backdoor is installed into computers without the user's knowledge, it can be called a hidden backdoor program. Ooh. Hidden backdoors are an enormous software vulnerability because they make it all too easy for someone with knowledge of the backdoor to illicitly access the affected computer system and any network that it's connected to. So for example, a recent article by Bloomberg highlights a case where a security vulnerability that could be used as a backdoor was left in a manufacturer's routers. According to the author, Europe's biggest phone company identified hidden backdoors in the software that could have given Hawaii, I believe it's how you say the company, unauthorized access to the carrier's fixed line network in Italy, a system that provides internet service to millions of homes and businesses. Vodafone asked Hawaii to remove backdoors in home internet routers in 2011 and received assurances from the supplier that the issues were fixed but further testing revealed that the security vulnerabilities remained. Mm. So backdoors are not necessarily nefarious. They can be very helpful. They allow the IT people um, that are affiliated with whatever your computer system is to come in and like help you and walk you through. If, if you if really you screw up your system, they yeah, may they have can, a backdoor again, but you got to really... Trust those people. Right. And you have to, to make that. sure that you're actually talking to the the computer people and I mean, not like a hacker. It could be which, the people I mean, that designed the code leave that little hidden thing in there that yes, they could. And then they end up being bad guys. And they could end up being bad guys. Super user or admin account privileges. One of the most basic tenets of managing software vulnerabilities is to limit the access of privileges. Um of your software users. The less information or resources a user can access, the less damage that a user account can do if they're compromised. However, many organizations fail to control user account access privileges, allowing virtually every user in the network to have so-called super user or administrator level access. I mean, it's frustrating with my computer at work, when I need to upload a program, I can't do it. I have to call mm-hmm. the people and they have to do it for me. And this is exactly why they do this. That's for a good reason. Yeah. Um, some computer security f- configurations are flawed enough to allow unprivileged users users to create administrative uh, level user accounts. Verifying that user account access is restricted to only what each user needs to do their job is crucial for managing computer security vulnerabilities. Also ensuring that newly created accounts cannot have admin level access access is important for preventing less privileged users from creating uh, even more privileged accounts. 
Now, one common network security vulnerability that some attackers learn to exploit is the use of certain web browsers' tendencies to automatically run trusted or safe scripts. By mimicking a trusted piece of code and tricking the browser, cyber criminals could get the browser software to run malware without the knowledge or input of the user, who often wouldn't know how to disable this quote-unquote feature. Unknown security bugs in software or programming interfaces is another threat here. Computer software is incredibly complicated when two or more programs are made to interface or talk with each other. It only gets more complicated. The issue with this is that within a single piece of software, there may be programming issues and other conflicts that can create security vulnerabilities. So, I mean, it's not intended to, but when they mix, it, it just happens. When two programs are interfaced, the risk of uh, conflicts that create software v- vulnerabilities, it just rises. Programming bugs and unanticipated code interactions rank among the most common security vulnerabilities, and all cyber criminals work daily to discover and to take advantage and abuse these vulnerabilities. Unfortunately, Predicting the creation of these computer system vulnerabilities, it's nearly impossible for the programmers and the people writing the code because there are virtually no limits to the combinations of software that might be found on a single computer, let alone an entire network. Let's talk about fishing. This one really is... I'm not talking about catching trout. No. And I'm not talking about the band. And if This is one that can really hit home on your home computer. In a phishing attack, the attacker attempts to trick an employee in the victim organization into giving away sensitive data and account credentials. Or think grandma. Or into downloading malware. The most common form of this attack comes as an email mimicking the identity of one of your company's vendors or someone who has a lot of authority in the company. Or someone that grandma knows. You see, I see a lot of this with Amazon and Netflix. Not that Amazon and Netflix are sending it. They're not. Hackers are sending it. It looks real official and it looks, and I've actually been the victim of this. I've been scammed. Um, (sighs) Well, and I'll tell you my example in a minute. But so for example, um, in a company, the attacker may say something like, this is Mark from IT. Your user account shows suspicious activity. Please click on this link to reset and secure your password. And then the link in the email leads to a website that will download malware to a user's computer, compromising their system. Now, this also happens all the time on your personal email and your home computer. Um, Most of us in the workforce receive training on how to recognize phishing attacks, but our parents don't. So take a little time to educate your parents who are using their computers, but maybe might lack the training that those of us in the workforce are most likely receiving. So go visit your parents or grandparents this weekend and help them out. also, like uh, me personally, I had this a couple of years ago at Christmas on Black Friday. I received an email from Patagonia, uh, which is uh, like a clothing company. And it was from um, it linked to Patagonia.com or Patagonianet.com or something like that. Their website looked exactly like Patagonia's website, like it had their um, all of their clothes and everything. And it was black Friday and they had all these great sales. And so I bought a jacket 
And then when it didn't come and didn't come and didn't come, I did a little bit of digging. And the more I kind of dug into this website, the more I saw that this was not Patagonia's website and it was based out of the UK. And there were just some things in there that were giant red flags that were in the fine print of everything. It probably wasn't even based out of the UK. Right. And so I, I contacted Patagonia and said, you know, these people are representing themselves as being you. And I'm assuming that they filed a cease and desist and possibly, um, you know, took them to court or whatever, but I was out. If they knew who to take to court. I was out 50 bucks. They probably had no idea who to take to court. Yeah. So just be careful. Um, there's a couple methods to guard against these kinds of attacks. Multi-factor authentication. That's becoming pretty popular. Yeah. Um, these methods like biometrics or one-use texted codes or actual physical tokens for giving users access to your network makes it harder for attackers to hijack accounts with just the username and password. Um, Employee cybersecurity awareness training. I get a lot of that. An educated employee is less likely to fall for phishing schemes than one who doesn't know basic cybersecurity protocols. Cybersecurity awareness training helps to provide employees with a basic knowledge that they need to avoid and identify phishing attacks. We get locked out of our computers if we don't take the training and pass test with it. Well, it, it, just, it just locks our good accounts out. Yep. Good for them. Um, defense in depth. Now, that's an approach. C's get degrees. <laughs> it's an approach to network security that adds extra layers of protection between each of the individual assets on the network. So that way, if attackers bypass the outermost defenses of the network, there's still other layers of protection between the compromised asset and the rest of the network. And then policy of least privilege, which we kind of talked about a little bit earlier, um, it just basically means that you're restricting users' access to the minimum amount of information needed to perform their job duties. That way, if a user's account privileges are misused, the damages will be limited. Okay. Another way is your, what, what, what they call your Internet of Things or your IoT. And this encompasses many smart devices such as, this is scary because this stuff is in your home, your Wi-Fi capable refrigerators, your printers, your manufacturing robots in a factory, coffee makers, and a lot of other machines. Our oven. Are you our saying house, that our, our oven is going to turn against us? It could. <gasps> Not the oven, but our oven is Wi-Fi capable. Is it going to like set our house on fire? No, I don't think it's going to do that. But they can get into our router and then get into, <sighs> potentially get into... Our files on the computer right now. see all of our Hour of Your Life notes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then where would we be? So the issue with these devices is they can be hijacked by attackers to form what they call slave networks of compromised compromised devices to carry out further attacks. Worse yet, many businesses don't even realize just how many IoT devices they have on their networks, meaning they have unprotected vulnerabilities that they aren't even aware of. And you would even in your think, home. Yeah, like you would never think, oh, I was hacked through my oven. Like that's not something that would even occur to me. Well, I mean but a lot of people that's- a lot of people were saying, you know, I don't want a ring doorbell. I don't want an Alexa in my house. I don't want any yeah. of this stuff. Your 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 smart TV can be hacked and can be They can spy on you with it. 
Honestly, yeah. like they really, you can see. Let's talk about um, a few key events in cyber history. Um, and this is through 2018. So 1991 um, in August is when the internet went mainstream. That's when life changed. In 2004, there was an AOL data breach with 92 million users affected. 2008 Heartland Payment Systems breach affected more than 100 million users. 2011 PlayStation data breach affects 77 million users. 2012 LinkedIn breach suffered um, more than 100 million users affected. In 2013 and 2014 and 2015, there was a lot of stuff going on. In 13, Edward Snowden's NSA eavesdropping revelations became public in June. That was a good movie. And then in August, um, there was a Yahoo data breach that affected 3 billion plus accounts. And then in November, I remember this one, there was a Target breach that affected 110 million customers. In 2014, Home Depot had a breach that affected 53 million people. In 2014, North Korea hacked uh, Sony, which caused all kinds of uproar in Hollywood. You remember that one? I don't remember that one. Oh, yeah. A lot of people were afraid of what might come out. Yeah. 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 Um, And then in 2015, um, there was an Anthem data breach that affected 78 million people. Um, and then Russian hacker, that was in February. And then in April, Russian hackers accessed the White House computers. And we've been suffering from fallout from that ever since. Uh, and then in 2017, Facebook had a data breach that affected 50 million users. And then in 2018, China hacked the, the Marriott hotel networks, which affected some 500 million accounts. Yeah, those are just some... Yeah, yeah, and that, that's few. not all. That's just the oh yeah, that's few. just a few. That's I left a, off the most tip of the of the iceberg. I left off most of the military hacks. Oh, I'm Again, sure they're probably together. constantly under attack. Yeah, on Friday, here's just some more recent attacks right now. On Friday, February fifth, twenty twenty one, a hacker initiated an attack um, on an Oldsmar, Florida water treatment facility which briefly adjusted the levels of sodium hydroxide from 100 parts per million to 11,100 parts per million. Okay, this attack occurred about 15 miles from the location of and two days before the Super Bowl. If successful, the attack would have increased the amount of sodium hydroxide to an incredibly dangerous level in the water supply. Fortunately... There was a vigilant employee in the plant who saw what was happening and uh, and their attempts, and he was able to stop it. I think, I think basically you, you he need was, to hit that button over there right now. Which one? The applause button. Oh. Round of applause for that hyper-vigilant employee down in Florida. Too often we do not get good news out of Florida, so yeah. thank you, wastewater so treatment guy. Basic, basically, they say he was looking at his computer screen, and he saw the mouse starting to move back door in it he, he knew something was happening yep experts say municipal water systems and other systems have the potential to be easy target for hackers because local government's computer infrastructure tends to be underfunded yikes yeah now let's talk about what's going on right now on May 7th, a ransomware attack forced Colonial Pipeline, which is a company responsible for nearly half the fuel supply for the United States East Coast, to proactively shut down operations. Stores of gasoline, diesel, 
home heating oil, jet fuel, and military supplies had been so heavily affected that the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration declared a state of emergency in 18 states to help with the shortages. Airplanes, commercial airlines were having to adjust their routes because they couldn't fill up completely, so they had to make stops. I mean, they were planned stops, but normally they'd be able to fly from the East Oof. Coast of Los Angeles, but they would have Ooh. to maybe stop in Chicago That'd to be load more fuel. As a passenger too. It's been 11 days since the shutdown, and the East Coast is still experiencing gas stations with no gas. And at first, we thought it was a Facebook joke that people were putting gas into plastic grocery bags. I, I couldn't believe it. But unfortunately, that turned out to be true. And that's why we have warning labels, and I've lost my faith in my fellow man. I, I, it's I, insane. I couldn't believe it. People what are is filling up you? plastic bags. To put gasoline in, and then they're putting then they're putting it in the trunk of their car. Don't do that. What's wrong with you people? Yeah. The FBI has confirmed that Darkside, a cyber criminal group believed to have originated in Eastern Europe, is behind the attack. And the news is reporting that Colonial did pay the five million dollar ransom. And uh, then the group announced on May twelfth that it had three more victims. And Darkside even released a press statement, which. Kind of makes me like face palm big time. They said, and I quote, our goal is to make money, not create problems for society. Well, they, well they, guess what? They really side? screwed that one up, didn't they? You made money, but you also massively created a problem. Thank you so very much. I wonder if they were behind the great toilet paper shortage. I don't know. They're moving up in the world, I guess. Okay. So here's some other potential targets. Air traffic control systems. Just think about it. If people went in and hacked, like some of our busy airports like uh, Atlanta, Chicago, New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles. My grandma used to say you can't get to heaven unless you go through Atlanta first. I mean, (laughs) they have capabilities to go manual, but it it, it would be dangerous. Hacking into the actual airplane itself. Now, for years, this this one is it's really scary. For years, hackers have been warning that passenger jets are vulnerable to cyber attacks. Airlines and plane manufacturers have largely, basically, ignored the risk from you know what we see on the surface. But recent events are leading to German authorities and pilots to take the threats more seriously. Officials from the European Aviation Safety Agency, or ESA, were not at all happy with what they had been hearing. A 32-year-old guy from Spain was talking about cockpit computers and their weakness and security loopholes. Specifically, he was telling ESA officials how he had managed he had managed to buy original parts from aviation suppliers on eBay. For just a few hundred dollars, his goal was to simulate the data exchange between current passenger jet models and air traffic controllers on the ground in order to search for possible back doors, which we just talked about this. Guess what? His search was successful. It wasn't just successful. It was very successful. The Spaniard presented his information two years ago to EADS, Their concern focused on his central finding, which he continues to repeat to this day. In modern airplanes, there are a whole series of back doors through which hijackers can gain access to a variety of aircraft systems. You know, think about 
just the the fuel systems, the the navigation systems, the automatic pilot system. You know, in a, in a modern jet airliner, you just don't aim the plane where you want to go and flip the switch. Yeah. There's different things that happen and can control it in a bunch of different ways. The Spaniard also demonstrated that you don't even have to have a computer to hijack a plane remotely. A smartphone equipped with an app, which he developed, could be enough. In theory, cyber terrorists could use such an app or something similar to take over a plane steering system and in worst case, cause the airplane, the airliner to crash. Which is terrifying. Yeah, that's scary stuff. The potential for all this stuff can be really scary. But, but, fortunately, the bridge inspector found the crack. We have to trust that people are doing their jobs like that water plant operator. And it really, it's not like we have a whole lot of choice unless you're a total prepper. And hopefully companies have found the financial incentive to hire the best cyber experts they can afford. And hopefully the military also has the brightest minds available working on these issues. But no matter how good the security, sooner or later, the bad people will find a way. So we can only hope that the good guys are doing everything they can to anticipate and stay ahead of them. And if I can go back, go visit your parents and your grandparents and educate them about the most likely cyber threats they'll face. And hopefully, I guess we can leave you with this thought that we only hear about the attacks that succeed. We don't hear about all the good work folks are doing and how many attacks are being prevented each day. So stay vigilant, update your computer. That's you, Kim. <laughs> but let's face it, if the bad guys are exploding nu- nuclear weapons over your country, there isn't a lot we can do about it. There's so. not a lot we're going to do about it. So sleep tight. All right, so that's kind of, <laughs> we, we decided we would Yay! call this episode the Doomsday episode. Not much of a downer at all. A little disclaimer, nothing we said is classified. Everything we found is open source on yeah. the internet. Yep. And it's just, that's how scary hate, it is. I hate stories like this because I, I it's very interesting, um, but at the same time, like I feel so helpless. Yeah, like well, like you said, if, I'm if, not smart. If, if they're and, exploding nuclear bombs over St. Yeah, Louis, I mean, really what, what are we going to be doing? What, and even, I guess we could come to the basement. You did, yeah. even fighting some of this high tech malware stuff. I mean, you can be aware, but I, they're so much smarter than I am. Now, I am going to say, my mom is. Pretty, Your mom is awesome. Yeah, she she's she, on it. Yeah, she knows what emails not to open, so she's aware. Honestly, so. your eighty-year-old mother is probably more tech savvy than I am. My eighty-eight-year-old mother would never go to the gas station and <laughs> fill up bags of gasoline that's, and that's put it true. in the trunk of her car. That's either, true. Okay. Yeah, no, she wouldn't. So. <laughs> All right. All right. Can we be done now? I'm so sad. <laughs> It's depressing. It's depressing. Maybe next week we'll have a little bit more lighthearted for you. Yeah, maybe a good interview next week. Maybe so. All right. Anyway, how do they get hold of us, Kim? You can go to anhouroofyourlife.com or you can find us on all the socials at anhouroofyourlife or you can write to us at alosthour at gmail.com. And also don't forget to go check out the 937podcast.com um, show us some love. Uh, you know, we always say 
Um, apparently we didn't have any new users this week. We didn't call anybody out. No. Um, but that's all right. Well, you know what? There were, but it's like people that must have accidentally deleted. And so there were two or three people that. That we've seen before. That they're we, back. That yeah, we've seen before. Well, cool. Well, thanks. Welcome back. Uh, so please, um, your homework this week is not to necessarily tell five people about an hour of your life, but go tell five people. If you live in the Dayton area, go tell five people about the 937 podcast. Yeah. Um, because we would love to have some listeners for our new show. All right. Good things coming down the pike. <sighs> Anything else? I think that's it. Let's go tomorrow and buy more toilet <sighs> paper and do some more prepping. Yeah, lock our I'm doors. Scared. I'm, and... sca- I'm scared now. I mean, I don't want to live my life in fear, no. but. <laughs> no, but. Anyway. But salute to all those people that are Absolutely. protecting us every day and staying alert and doing their jobs. Thank you very much. All right. So. Nothing else? That's it. I guess not. So, from our studios in Sugar Creek Township. Thanks for spending an hour of your life with us. This week, our sources include DefenseOne.com, Calert.info, the BBC, Industrial Defender, CompuQuip, the New York Times, Geospatial.blogs.com, The Hill, InfrastructureReportCard.com, and Dr. Norma Jean Matei from the American Society of Civil Engineers, President, 2017. Sleep tight. <laughs> <laughs>